going on, everybody? It's your buddy, it's your pal, Spaz Phoenix, the YWC Reality Check, and this is WWE Last Week, your weekly look back at the week that was in WWE. I'm going to start this off with a bit of a programming note. To start, there will be no episode of this next week, because next week you're going, or should I say this week, you're going to be getting two things from me. I'm going to review whatever this new NXT is, whatever it is, this black and gold, this NXT 3.0 um, revival, whatever you want to call it, and at the end of the week, we're going to get a preview for Extreme Rules, which is what we're building to right now. So there won't be WWE last week, next week, because the following week, we will do everything that happened at Extreme Rules and everything going forward. Now, what we do with NXT is going to largely depend on what they do with NXT this week. So, with one exception... There wasn't any huge, big, crackerjack news, no big reveals. We didn't get the Bray Wyatt reveal. I'll get to that later on as well. We did have one return, which we will get to when we get to it. But a lot of this is just building towards Extreme Rules, which is fine if you look at how stacked Extreme Rules is. Now, I'm going to go through this relatively quickly. Time constraints are what they are, and I'm trying to cover about five shows uh, for WWE. So we're going to get right on into Raw, which started off with a Bailey promo and talked about how... Uh, you know, Bianca Belair was the hand-picked champion and how she's been helped along and the fans help her along and you know, everybody forgot about everything that Bailey's contributed, which is all kind of true. And Belair comes out to, to counter her and this isn't Belair's fault, don't get me wrong, but they've scripted her to take a knock on Bailey for being injured, which isn't exactly a babyface thing. Um, Bailey decides that she's finally going to take up uh, up the challenge from Bel Air. We we knew this from the week before, and it's going to be a ladder match, which is awesome. And then they went out of their way on SmackDown to dr sort of drive home that this is the first time two women have fought for a championship in a ladder match on a WWE pay-per-view. Now the language is very specific because I'm pretty sure there's been multi-woman matches and. The women's money in the bank is a is a thing, and I don't think they want to undermine that. So they're being very specific about this is the first time one on one there's been a ladder match for a title. Now, it has to, they they have to say that in the realm of WWE because if you remember on NXT back when when uh, Takeover was still a thing, when War Games was becoming a thing, they established that the War Games advantage was always decided by a ladder match on the go home show, and that included the women and. I think, uh, if you'll recall, the most uh, most well-known example of that was when uh, Mia Yim busted her face open. So, it's everything and nothing as far as being a historical thing, but at the same time, Bailey in a ladder match is 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 a uh, is quite a it's, it's a tempting prospect as as somebody watching the show. Belair is uh, athletic as hell. Belair is the character that she is. It's not for me. It's obviously for some people. Somebody on Twitter the other day was asking me, how could you possibly hate Bianca Belair? And I'm like, okay, we're going to sidestep the identity politics thing. And it's like, maybe people are just sick of her. Maybe people don't actually dislike her, but she's... It ties into the Sasha thing because those two being shoved into the main event was something we were told constantly was such a good thing, such a good thing, such a good thing. And then... Becky Lynch came back and beat her relatively quickly, but not by any cheating kind of means. And then we were told as fans that Becky beating her was this bad, evil thing when really she just outsmarted her, which is what a fighter does. So I don't want it to come across 
that I'm shitting on Bianca Belair. I have shit on Bianca Belair in the past when I thought she deserved it, but I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong or bad about Bianca Belair, but how she's portrayed and how WWE has, I think, overused her is is making the whole thing a bit stale. So Bailey not only being brand new back to the company she's returned, she's a shiny new toy, her and her faction, etc., but also it'll be something new in the title picture because she hasn't held a title in a while. Like, let's be real. And her holding a title uh, as a head of this trio who already have the tag team titles, you do get a little bit of the bloodline effect. You know, we're draped in gold, you know, the uh, the golden prophecy of the Undisputed Era back in the day. There's a, uh, there's a visual aesthetic to we are a dominant faction, look at all of our belts. And that that's a thing, that's something that's gonna happen. So Belair calls out Io Sky, who just conveniently enough is already dressed to wrestle. Belair gets the win because of course she does. And during that match, we see Sami Zayn and Solo Sokoa arriving at the arena for Raw. So we got Bloodline crossing over both shows. I think if you look at what's been happening the past couple of weeks, we have to unify the women's championship at some point because we've unified the tags, we've unified the world titles, and they are being pretty blatant right now with how much the how much the the what do you call it, the border between the two brands doesn't work anymore. Now, if it's the bloodline, it's a little bit different because the Usos are tag team champions on both shows. Roman is the world champion on both shows. How do you justify Sammy and Solo? I don't care. People that get hung up on the, oh my god, if there's a brand split, why is this guy here and that guy there? It, because it works for the story. It works for the, you know, bloodline versus everybody means that we take over Raw, we take over SmackDown, and we recruited somebody from NXT. So all the major brands of WWE, considering that Level Up is an NXT thing and NXT UK doesn't exist anymore and 205 doesn't exist anymore, it does mean that the bloodline has their finger in all the pies, so to speak. So that story is more important than, oh, he's supposed to be wearing a blue shirt, which we don't do anymore because it's war games now and we don't need to worry about it. Miz is in the back, and they're in Edmonton, so they're back in Canada, which is which is always good. Uh, it's not like AEW who are coming to Toronto, and I won't be going because they are gouging the Toronto fans on tickets. Oh, yes. And AEW's a bit shit right now. Moving on. Miz is in the back around some hockey display in the arena. I don't know, I don't even know the name of the arena in Edmonton, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, but he's introducing the Miz Force, and they're a bunch of dorky looking security guards and whatever, and he sends them off to go find Dexter. And then we get Mysterio versus Rollins, which is Rollins has sort of butted into this rivalry between the Mysterio, sorry, between Rey Mysterio and the, the, can't think right now, the Judgment Day, there we go. Um, but you can always lean back on the fact that in the worst depths of the, uh, of the Corona era, where we didn't have any fans, and we had the horror show at Extreme Rules, they had the I versus I match, where Samoa Joe on commentary made the world-famous call of, it's out when they did the ping-pong ball that was supposed to be Rey Mysterio's eye. Now, nobody's ever going to take that seriously, but I think it was kind of cool that for this match, Rey Mysterio was wearing blood-red colored 
contact lenses. I thought that was a neat little touch. I'm, I don't even know if that's a WWE thing. I think that might just be a, a decision that he's like, ah, I could do this and people will see it and it won't affect anybody that doesn't get it. But also he cuts a promo about how he's never going to lay a hand on his son and he's going to take all his frustrations out on Rollins. It's all good. It is what it is. Rollins comes out and puts over the fight pit match at Extreme Rules with Riddle. Talks about how it's, you know, it's a match that... You know, it's a match that definitely leans in Rollins' favor, but, you know, if anybody's going to take over somebody at their own game, it's going to be him. Rey Mysterio, the super white meat babyface, jumps Rollins to start the match, and he busts Rollins open, and it's dead center of the forehead. It is like, um, you know, vision with the Mind Stone placement on the forehead, which was always good. Dominic apparently, uh, or sorry, eventually, uh, appears on the ramp, and there's sort of a weird stare down between him and Seth Rollins, because he was a big part of the rivalry between Ray and Seth at Extreme Rules at the horror show when we had no fans, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, Seth Rollins was Dominic Mysterio's first match, but... Dom kind of gives him a nod, and he starts supporting him at ringside, and Dom does the thing on the outside again, falling to his knees, arms out, you know, Dad, why don't you just hit me with the chair? Why don't you just hit me with the chair? Ray's distracted. He gets clocked by Rhea Ripley, who comes out of nowhere. Now, Rhea Ripley is... not a small person, and I mean that in the best way possible. Like, she's jacked as fuck. I wouldn't fuck with her, and I don't think you would either. But the fact that she can come out of nowhere and clock Ray is, is a thing. Um, there's a stomped by Seth Rollins, who goes for the win and then thinks twice about it and locks him in something that I'm not very familiar with. It might be an MMA thing, I don't know. But the Peruvian necktie for the submission victory, uh, and all I can think of, and they, they lean on it pretty heavily on commentary as well, is this a new trick that he's learned for the fight pit? Because I think, if I recall correctly, the fight pit is submission or surrender. It's not by pinfall. Now, we've got news about the fight pit that I'm going to get into later on. And then, furthermore, we go to boost up the fight pit is um, Lashley giving Riddle a bit of a pep talk in the back. You know, Rollins doesn't know what it's like to fight in a cage. We know what it's like to fight in a cage, so why don't you go kick his ass in the cage? Oh, but also, don't get involved in my matches again, which is... All right, we're buddies, we're buddies, I support you, but also, don't fuck around and you don't have to find out. The American Alpha, or sorry, Alpha Academy, American Alpha was a long time ago, wasn't it? Versus Johnny Gargano, that's why, because American Alpha was an NXT thing. Um, American Alpha versus Johnny Gargano and Kevin Owens. Gargano and Owens pass by the Miz Force in the aisleway, and they've already been taken out, which is lovely. American Alpha, because they're in Canada and they want to do some cheap heat stuff, they come out waving big-ass American flags. Now, all the spots in this match are from the Babyface team, obviously. Uh, double Sinton by Gargano and Owens. Oh, uh, Gargano gets to hit the slingshot spear. Dirty Cradle Neckbreaker by Owens, who then locks in the sharpshooter, because of course he does, because it's... Here's the thing that I I love about this. You do the sharpshooter because it's Bret Hart and he's from Canada, but also it is it is sort of a low-key Montreal screwjob reference considering Owens is from Montreal. Do like the, the, the duality of that reference. Uh, javelin by Gargano, a swanton by Owens, an elbow through the table by Owens. Uh, Theory tries to come out and distract and help his friends, but that doesn't work at all because Gargano still hits the one final beat and the faces get the win. Theory's still being a thorn in Gargano's side. I... These guys are going to fight, right? These guys are going to fight at Extreme Rules, and if they don't, I'll eat my hat, and I don't have a hat, so that threat doesn't mean very much. If they hadn't started out the night announcing that Bailey and Bianca Belair 
was a ladder match, I would have said save the ladder match for Theory and Gargano. When Gargano says, hey, you want to talk about how much more you've experienced than me, how much more you've achieved than I am, you climbed up a ladder to get that briefcase. Why don't we hang it back up and see if you can get it twice? A ladder match between Gargano and Theory makes a lot more storyline sense, but it is what it is. Um, in the back, AJ Styles is getting ready for... I was about to say AJ Lee there because I'm very tired. I was about to say AJ Lee, but AJ Styles passes by more of the Miz Force that have been taken out in the back, and then he runs face on into Finn Balor, and I love this story as well. Now, we, we're going to find out later on in the night what Balor's doing at Extreme Rules, and it's not AJ Styles, but I think it might should be. That's just a thing, that's just a thing. But another pitch from Finn Balor, because hey, you know, you're, you're facing Sami Zayn tonight, which is... We'll get to that. And he's got Solo Skull with him. Don't you want some backup? Can't we prove ourselves to you and come out and uh, even the odds for you? He says no. He basically says no. Um, I will say the ongoing thing that they... I say ongoing. It started last week. But this the potential of an ongoing Willy won't he um, between AJ Styles and Finn Balor joining the... Uh, joining the New Day is pretty cool. And like I said last week, there's this story that, you know, Priest had tried to recruit, I think it was Ray, uh, Rhea Ripley successfully recruited Dominic, now Balor is going to make, make his own recruitment uh, attempt. No, sorry, Priest tried to recruit Riddle. That's what happened there, um, which led to our main event. So why did that fall out of my head? I don't know. But the fact that each one of them has their own target for recruitment is... Uh, we're not going to grow one at a time. We're going to grow in a, in a multiple instead, and that's a, that's a that's a very neat touch. We're, we're taking advantage of the old connections that people have, either on the main roster or in NXT, or possibly over in Japan. Let's just say it quietly. Um, but right now, Styles is still saying no. Like I say, AJ Styles, like goth emo AJ Styles, would make me laugh a whole lot. I've seen pictures of him from New Japan, and that's basically what it is. So. That could be fine. Or you just get an amazing feud between Finn Balor and AJ Styles, and who's going to complain about that? Omos crushes two jobbers. I continue to push my idea that if uh, Braun Strowman is not going to be part of this Bray Wyatt reveal, then Extreme Rules is the perfect time to have a battle of the Giants between Omos and Strowman. That's just my take. It is what it is. Uh, we get some announcements for next week through a, through a, a weird backstage segment. Um, Gable hypes up Otis to fight Johnny Gargano next week, one-on-one, -on -one, and then everybody talks about how all their current woes are because of Braun Strowman, and then they get a phone call from Braun Strowman challenging Chad Gable to a match next week, and he says, no, 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 shush. Um, I love this for a lot of reasons, because WWE gets pelters a lot for saying, like, oh, the, this wrestler's so dumb, that wrestler's so dumb, they should know this, don't they watch the show? Clearly, Braun Strowman is watching the show. So this is... It's nothing, because it's just a silly, you know, Chad Gable talked himself into a really bad situation, but it's also not. It's also kind of low-key clever. Um, it's something small that needed to be fixed. It's like, I'll give AEW its credit here, when people are watching things backstage, they actually look at the TV rather than doing the weird WWE backstage angle where you're sort of looking at the TV over your shoulder so you can still be on screen. This was this was pretty cool actually. So Gargano versus Otis is going to be interesting and then Strowman's going to eat Gable. That's what's going to happen there. 
we go back to the back, once again, the Miz finds his Miz Force all lying face down, and they're back around the hockey display, and one of the one of the dummies isn't a dummy anymore, it's a it's Dexter Loomis in hockey gear because, you know, Canada. And Loomis chokes him out, beats him up with a hockey stick because, you know, Canada. Um but then we get something good. Then we get we get Nikki Ash in the ring, and I've been crying out for Nikki Cross to come back. It hasn't happened just yet, but she's out there for. What they, I think they said something weird on commentary, like here's Nikki Cross out there. She's really trying to make a new name for herself and and drive forward. And let's see what she can do tonight. And then her opponent is the returning Candice LeRae, and it's like, well, so much for that. Um, Nikki's surprised, which is odd, and she goes on the offensive with a with a with a bit of an early assault, I guess you could say. Uh, Candice LeRae, because she's awesome, takes over the advantage, hits that uh, top or sorry second rope uh, swing and neckbreaker for the win. The um, it's it's two stories again here. A Candice LeRae's back. Obviously, she got the win, so those two things are great. Um, people were saying, like, as soon as Johnny Gargano came back, it's like, oh, well, Candice is going to be next, and including me, I'll be honest, but A, she just had a kid, so you could be forgiven for thinking that's not going to happen right away, and B, she's a mom, she could have decided that she didn't need to wrestle anymore, like, that could have definitely been a thing, so amazing to see her back in the ring, um, of all the people that sort of got called up and sort of got ruined, uh, she never got called up. Like, Gargano and Ciampa got called up in the middle of their feud to be a tag team on the main roster. She never went through anything like that, so I'm just happy to see her back. But, um, storyline-wise was, uh, Nikki Cross sitting in the corner after the match, and the last thing you see before they went to commercial break was her finally ripping the mask off. So, hopefully, hopefully this is leading towards a Nikki Cross return rather than Nikki A.S.H., Sami Zayn versus AJ Styles, and it's because of a beef on Twitter. Now, people, some people don't like that, some people do like that, but what do you want me to say? It's Sami Zayn and AJ Styles. Of course, the match was awesome. No real interference, even though you had Solo Sokoa having Sami's back. Uh, X-Plex into a sit-down powerbomb by uh, by Sami Zayn at one point was really cool. Apron Uranagi by Solo Sokoa and a Haluva kick was the win. Now, I did say there was no interference. It was... For the great majority of the match, it was Sami Zayn not so much being the dorky tag-along guy, but actually, you know, being reinvigorated. He was accepted by Roman Reigns, and he was accepted by the Bloodline, and he's got his new t-shirt, guys! So the t-shirt power was running through him. T-shirt mania was definitely running wild. So he, he went toe-to-toe -to -toe and was relatively serious in this match the whole time, and then as he was falling down towards the end, Solo just went, yeah! Give you a little bit of a hand. Apron Yaranagi, uh, Haluva kick, and the win. Uh, AJ's face is also bloody. Second bloody face of the night. Judgment Day come out with another offer. He goes to too sweet um, Finn Balor and turns it into a middle finger, which turns into a four-on-one beatdown. And they go to Pilmanize his neck. And, but he doesn't do it. Balor goes to Pilmanize the neck, and then he doesn't do it. He's like, I wouldn't do that. That's not what friends do. Uh, then we get a bunch of in-betweener type stuff, because Judgment Day just stays out after that. Cena has made, but, uh, Cena has achieved a world record as far as uh, Make-A-Wish wishes granted. I think it's at 650-something now, which is... I mean, there's not enough I can say about John Cena and the Make-A-Wish stuff that he does. It's all been said already, but that's fucking fantastic. Um... Dakota Kai and Candice LeRae are going to fight next week, which is cool. We see Candice LeRae 
uh, hanging out with the baby, the rest of the babyface team uh, of you know Bianca Belair and Asuka and Alexa Bliss and Candice LeRae. So there's your four. We're doing more games. Uh, damage control is definitely going to be on the other side of it. Now, is the last member of that team going to be the newly reinvigorated Nikki Cross, or is it going to be Rhea Ripley? I'm fine with either. Rhea Ripley deserves it. Nikki Cross needs a kick in the ass, character-wise. Either one of those works for me. Priest versus Riddle in the main event was a hard-as-hell match. Best... I'm, I'm a fan of Priest, but I wouldn't put him in, like, the top echelon as far as, like, bell-to-bell stuff. So this is the best Priest match I've seen in a long time. Riddle, obviously, we know what Riddle can bring to the ring. Unless you're one of those weird biased people that lets outside the ring stuff affect your opinion of somebody's in-ring work. Um, stalling Falcon Arrow on the rail by Priest was dirty, because... Not only was it on the rail, but it was on the corner of the rail, so you were getting a corner of a, of, a, of a guardrail into your spine, which is always a good thing. Riddle gets the quick roll-up victory, which isn't the greatest thing in the world, and then there's another four-on-one beatdown. And you think the save might be from, you know, Rey Mysterio or AJ Styles, but no, it's Edge. Edge comes back. It's Canada. He gets a Canada pop. He spears. Everybody chases them all out of the ring and challenges Finn Balor to an I quit match at Extreme Rules. Now, on the one hand, that's awesome, because Edge versus Balor, awesome match. That, that, that's, a, that's a placard that sells itself. Edge versus Balor in an I Quit match, fucking fantastic. That could be the main event. Now, I would have tweaked this a little bit, because Edge has a problem with both members of the team. Edge doesn't just have a problem with Balor. He could have challenged either guy. You could have had Edge versus Priest, I mean, it would have been a rematch, that's fine. It would have been Edge versus Priest, and then that would have freed up Balor to have a match with Styles at Extreme Rules, but that might mean that we're saving that for Survivor Series, bigger stage, bigger platform, uh, if they're saving Balor versus Styles for that. I don't have a problem with that either. As I say, uh, other than Candice LeRae debuting and everybody else just sort of going through the motions and making their match announcements. Nothing huge out of this Raw, but everything had a purpose. Everything There was no dead weight. Um, you'll notice there haven't been... I mean, other than I could do without the Amos squash matches, I'm not going to lie, but uh, the Miz's, like, Miz Force stuff was kind of silly, but it was, like, it was the, the filler between great segments. It wasn't meant to be great segments on its own, so that's... That's fine and wonderful, but everything is leading towards Extreme Rules, and they're doing a pretty fucking good job. NXT. NXT, again, is more building block type stuff. Uh, we already sort of knew it from last week from uh, the spoilers on Wikipedia, but we had a uh, an opening segment that sort of just confirmed the um, JD McDonough versus Dragunov versus Braun Breaker uh, for the NXT Championship Halloween Havoc. They did a promo. Uh, Braun Breaker did the Steiner Mask stuff, which is cool. Um, Mandy Rose defended her Unified Women's Championship against Fallon Henley. Obviously got the victory. She's got a better V-trigger than Kenny Omega. Uh, Fallon Henley could get it, is all I'm going to say. And further challenges from Alba Fire, whose baseball bat is now on fire. What we already knew about, which is super unfortunate, but uh, it is what it is, the uh, the injury to Tony D'Angelo in his match with Wesley in the um, 
in the qualifier for the ladder match. That happened this week. Uh, basically, the referee stopped it. They, they played out this whole match. I don't think anything was edited out. Uh, but uh, Stax was uh, removed from ringside. Tony D went down with the knee injury. Uh, he looks like he jammed it in the corner. Uh, I don't know whether that's the story they're telling or what whether that's what the actual injury is. Uh, either way, hope he's back soon. He's, again... Not the best in the ring, but a really, really entertaining character. And Wesley was going to win this anyways. Let's be real. You look at Wesley, you've got a ladder match coming up. You put Wesley in the ladder match. We got the debut of Sol Ruka, who's the surfer, hippie, you know, Hawaiian gimmick chick. And she had a very cool, very respectful face-versus-face debut with Amari Miller. Uh, while she was making her entrance, which is very acrobatic, I'll say, to, to put it nicely, uh, Amari Miller, who was already in the ring, was already giving her a bit of an applause, which was nice. Corey, uh, sorry, J Joe Gacy and Cameron Grimes had their big blow-off, which was him losing and then getting a three-on-one beatdown, so that was kind of counterproductive. Caden Carter versus Nikita Lyons was a lot of fun. Big David versus Goliath thing because uh, Nikita Lyons is not a small person and Caden uh, Carter is not a very big person. So that was fun. Nikita got the win. I'm pretty sure Nikita Lyons and Zoe Stark are going to get the tag team championship match at uh, at Halloween Havoc, although that hasn't been confirmed, or if they want to make it a triple threat with the girls from Toxic Attraction, one more title shot before they uh, properly debut on the main roster, that will be fine. Next week, we are getting Andre Chase versus Vaughn Wagner um, for a spot in the ladder match. I'll be honest with you, I don't really want Andre Chase or Vaughn Wagner in this match because they're not set for a match like this, but you know who is. We have the best of three series between Axiom and Nathan Frazier. They're at one apiece because, of course, they are. That's how these things go. And their final match, their rubber match, is going to be a qualifier for the ladder match as well. So right now, we have um, the new guy whose name I can't remember <laughs> versus Carmelo Hayes versus... Wesley versus either Axiom or Nathan Frazier. Either one of them will be great. And either Andre Chase or Von Wagner, who I could take or live without. Ilya Dragunov had his first proper match on proper NXT, defeating Zion Quinn, which is nice. I'd also like to see something for Zion Quinn, because that dude is a fucking brick house and could probably destroy people. And a very lackluster, if I'm being completely honest, main event between Gallus and Jock. Brooks Jensen and Josh Briggs, and the babyfaces get the win in the pub rules match where they put people through tables and broke glasses over their heads and did all kinds of fun stuff like that. I was kind of bummed out by this, I'm not going to lie. Brooks Jensen and Josh Briggs are a perfectly fine team, and when, when NXT UK was a thing, I really liked Gallus. They came over to the main roster, or sorry, the main NXT roster, sort of bland as hell. It's like we're three big guys and we're kind of Irish, so we'll make a pub in the backstage area of the arena. So that needs to be fixed, not gonna lie. Somewhere in the middle as well, my notes are kind of shaky, so this probably happened earlier on in the night. They set up a trios match next week that's going to be Nikita Lyons, Zoe Starks, and Alba Fire taking on all three members of Toxic Attraction, because Toxic Attraction came around and said that the tag team titles are theirs, even though Nikita Lyons is the one that just beat one of the champions. So, like I say, these were the pre-recorded, this is where they kind of hit a pass from me. Same thing with, with Raw, SmackDown, Dynamite, Rampage, etc., etc., etc. 
if it's a pre-taped show and the spoilers are out there or you know the spoilers are going to get out there, you don't put your best foot forward. And this is the last dragging dregs of old NXT. We are leading up to whatever this NXT is going to be this week. I'm going to, like I said, going to going to review NXT this week because uh, there won't be a WWE this week, or sorry, a WWE last week, next week. So I'm going to have to cover what they do on this new version of NXT. Is it going to be anything new? Is it going to be anything that I want it to be? Yes or no, or maybe, who knows? But I will be doing that. So if these last two weeks have sort of been a stumbling block, pre-taped, all that kind of thing, because they didn't want to give away too much uh, in the way of spoilers, I'll give them that pass. If this continues, however, then I don't know. I'll have to come down a lot harsher on NXT when this is supposed to be a relatively positive uh, video series. As I said before, when I started doing WWE last week, I said this is going to be the positive take on new current era WWE because there's enough negative takes out there. Check out your Sidgwick's, check out your JD from New York's, check out your... As much as I love these guys, check out your Wrestling Jesuses and your uh, General Jerry's, uh, who will probably find all the shortcomings that I have missed. So when, when all those voices are out there, I'm going to find the positive stuff, because all of the stuff that has changed in WWE right now has changed in the direction of old-school black-and-gold rock-and-roll NXT. And if you'll recall, that NXT used to be the flagpole of this show, so you know it's right up my fucking street. Now we switch over to SmackDown, and SmackDown is SmackDown's a shorter show that feels like it does more in its short amount of time. Um, Raw is still way too long in general, but I feel like SmackDown accomplishes more because the biggest story in WWE is the bloodline and everything that's happening with the bloodline, and the bloodline really exists on SmackDown. So when you have the biggest story on your show, everything else on the show tends to feel bigger. Uh, they also have to try harder because the chances of people being home on a Monday are a lot greater than they are of people being home on a Friday, especially now that the world is allowed to exist again. So we started off the night with a awesome tag team match. It was Sami Zayn, Solo Sokoa defeating Ricochet and Mad Cat Moss. They, they, they said, you know, you knew when you went into this match who was going to win, who was going to lose. You had three really, really exciting guys, and you got Mad Cat Moss, who's cool in his own right, and who can definitely eat a pin if he needs to. Uh, Ricochet ate a chair shot at one point while the referee wasn't looking, and there was a post-match beatdown on Mad Cat Moss, which saw Sami Zayn eventually pull Mad Cat Moss, or sorry, pull Solo off of Mad Cat Moss, which is the same thing that happened in the backstage beatdown last week. So it's kind of cool that there's this symbiotic relationship de developing almost immediately with Sami Zayn and Solo Sokoa, as Solo's got Sami's back, and Sami is kind of being Solo's keeper a little bit. Like, if Solo was about to do something in a match aggressively that was going to cost them the match, or cost them a disqualification, whatever, Sami Zayn would be the one to pull him back. And I think that's a very interesting dynamic that it would be Sami to be that, and not... Uh, excuse me, not one of his other brothers, which will feed into the Jey Uso stuff, etc. The segment that we got last week, the whole uh, him getting the new t-shirt from Roman Reigns, right before Roman gave him the new shirt and we thought that he was getting dumped by the bloodline and Jey Uso was crawling out of his fucking skin to take the shirt off! Like, Jey Uso is the unsung hero of this entire bloodline story, which is... Which is great, because before any of the rest of them joined or came back or whatever, 
we were seeing the sort of the genesis of a Jey Uso solo run. I mean, it was under Roman Reigns, and he was being incredibly abused by his older cousin. But I, again, I say like if they if they never turn on Sammy, and the person that gets kicked out of the bloodline is Jey Uso instead. There's a really cool story arc to be pulled there. Um, after the match, backstage, he goes to the uh, Sami Zayn goes to the Bloodline locker room with Solo Sokoa. Solo Sokoa obviously gets welcomed in. Jay tries to stop him. He's like, oh, you know, nobody else can can see what you're doing right now, but I see right through you, and you're gonna mess with us." And da da da. Sami Zayn just sort of tugs at his T-shirt and says, "If you've got a problem, you need to talk to Roman." And I thought they were gonna fight right there, but um, again. Again, I'm going to go back to what happened last week, is, like, as much as Jey Uso is the one being a dick, you kind of have to identify with him, because as I said last week, we've all been in that situation when, you, when you're in a big social group, and there's somebody in that group that everybody loves, and you feel like you're the only person that knows, or can see, or can tell that they're an absolute shithead. And the frustration of that, I, I'll say it in my personal life anyway, the frustration of that will eat you alive. And to see that playing out on TV right now with Jey Uso, who has done... Incredible character work, I I will say. I mean, in ring nobody can touch the Usos as far as their as far as their in ring ability, their efforts, and all those kind of things. But in the in the COVID era, in the no audience era, in the Thunderdome era, when his brother was injured and he was doing some solo stuff and he was really being beaten down from Roman, like, and that follows right through to now. His character work, I would say. Like, I would say it's on par with Roman Reigns, and on occasion, it surpasses Roman Reigns. And that's... People might disagree with me, that's fine, but uh, it's it's how I see it, because he's the key. He is the key to every other dynamic in that group right now. Anyways, we go to a video package from Karrion Cross, and it's it's all edited together in the way that people that like it like it, and people that don't like it don't like it. But basically, he's talking about everything that he's going to do, all the violence that he's going to inflict on Drew McIntyre in their strap match at Extreme Rules, but he's dressed very elegantly, and Scarlett's dressed very elegantly, and they're waltzing in the streets, and it's all very elegant, and all that kind of thing. And the, the juxtaposition of, of how polite and formal that looks with what he's actually saying he's going to do with Drew McIntyre is fucking great. Austin Theory is in the back talking about uh, how Drew McIntyre is basically an idiot and, you know, Cross is going to kill him at Extreme Rules and he didn't get it done at Clash at the Castle and obviously Drew McIntyre's right out there behind him. Uh, <laughs> he's the guy in the horror movie that thinks he's safe and then the monster pops up right behind him, which is great. He says, I'm going to the ring right now and so are you. Um, they have a match. Theory brings out the uh, Alpha Academy with him. There's a three. Um, the match doesn't go more than a minute. It ends in a DQ. Three on one beatdown, and the save is made by Gargano, who's from Raw. Oh my God! And Kevin Owens because he wants to get the Canada pop, which is awesome. And uh, they hold the ring because, of course, they do. And if you if you doubt if you doubt the contributions of Black and Gold NXT, look at the six people I just mentioned in that in that. Segment: Theory, Gable, Otis, Drew, Owens, and Gargano. Now, yes, Gargano had a following elsewhere. Owens had a following elsewhere. Drew McIntyre, when he got to NXT, was his second run in WWE. I understand all that, but the versions of these guys that we know now are the versions of themselves that they became in NXT Black and Gold. And if you want to fight me on that, you can be wrong. I can't force you to be right. 
Hit Row defeated Los Lotharios, and there wasn't much else to say about it. This was after we saw Hit Row making fun of the Maximum Male models in the back because they're going for the title. And Max Dupree, I want to say LA Knight because we know he's becoming LA Knight. Max Dupree is like, what, what, how, how did that happen? You guys got a shot at the titles tonight? You guys are fighting the Usos tonight? No, we're going for the Canadian record for the longest male model pose. And they did this, and it was in between all the different commercial breaks, and... It was just funny, stupid shit, and then Hit Row versus the Lotharios. Lotharios stepped up their game in this match, I think. I mean, Angel and Umberto are still seen as basically jobbers, but the two of them, and specifically Ashanti the Adonis from Hit Row, were really flying around in this match, and I mean, Top Dollar is what he is. He's the heavy of the match, and he goes in to be the heavy of the match. That's not anything to be spit at either. Um, I want to say two things. WWE is trying to show that they have a tag team division. Um, you know, they've got the New Day, they've got the Street Profits, they've got Hit Row, they've got Los Lotharios, they've got the Maximum Male Models, they've got RK Bro if Randy Orton ever comes back, they've got all these guys, right? Um, they've got the Brawling Brutes, they've got Imperium. So they've got all these teams now and they're putting focus on all these teams on one side. On the other side, not a chance do I believe any of those people have are going to take the titles off of the Usos, because the Usos are the tag team division. And that just is what it is. And I'm saying at this point, I would go into that with the same... I would go into, you know, the Maximum Male Models versus the Usos with the same certainty that right now I would go in with the same certainty of the New Day versus the Usos. Like, Usos are going to win. Usos win, LOL. Um... But yeah, they had a match, it was a lot of fun. People that are saying Hit Row can't wrestle are fucking idiots. People that are saying Lost Lotharios don't really do anything are also kind of insane. Um, Ronda Rousey defeated Natalia because of course she did. Natalia and Ronda have worked, I think, the most together behind the scenes. So if there's anybody that's going to know how to make Ronda Rousey look good, it's going to be Natalia. And then afterwards, Liv Morgan comes out with a bat, looking very, very Harley Quinn. It doesn't really go her way. She gets she gets the Piper's Pit on the outside so hard that her bat bounces into the ring, which is interesting. Um, Ronda Rousey tries to use the bat against Liv Morgan at one point, which is funny because previously she cut a promo that said, I don't need any weapons to be as dangerous or more than Liv Morgan. I'm the most I'm the most dangerous unarmed combatant that she's ever had, but you know, if she's gonna bring a bat to the ring, I'm gonna use I'm gonna use the bat. It kind of because this is the the fucked up way my brain works, it made me immediately picture a weird sort of bat sword fight between Liv Morgan and Kaylee Ray. I'm not gonna lie. But that's that's neither here nor there. Kaylee Ray randomly popping up at Extreme Rules as her debut on the main roster also would not hurt my feelings whatsoever. In the back, we get it announced that we are going to get a trios match later on tonight. It's going to be Theory and the Alpha Academy taking on Drew Owens and Gargano, because of course it is. We've already set it up. Um Drew and Gargano talk about how they can't really trust Owens. They talk about the history between Owens and Drew, which is nice because, you know, WWE's actually letting us know that, hey, we know you guys actually remember shit. Owens walks by the maximum male models and tries to adjust their pose as they still go for their posing record. And then he walks by Sami Zayn and tells him he needs to get a new shirt. Kevin Owens can do anything. Sheamus comes out to interrupt a promo from Imperium. And it doesn't go well. Basically, Imperium comes out to cut a, uh, admittedly, pretty generic look at us, look at how great we are 
thing. Uh, Seamus comes out, lets us know right away that Butch and Ridge are not with him this week because they're stuck in Florida because of all the of all the storm stuff. Uh, Want to take a quick moment. Obviously, if anybody listening to the sound of my voice is in any way affected by the storms that are going on in Florida, my thoughts are with you. I hope you guys are all okay. And if you are down there and you are dealing with stuff like this, and for some reason you've stumbled on my podcast, I hope I'm <laughs> providing some sort of distraction for you. Although. I doubt it. Uh, Seamus walks into the three-on-one uh, three beatdown because it's Seamus. Uh, they leave him in the ring, and he does sort of the Jeff Hardy thing. He's, he sort of grabs the microphone, and he says, is that all you've got? Um, because I am who I am, and I like who I like, It made me. it's not nearly on the same level. Please let me be clear about this before I go on. It's not on the same level, but when Jeff Hardy was a young Jeff Hardy, and he was on the Ascension, and he had that one hardcore match... It was it a hardcore match or a ladder match with short hair biker Undertaker and Undertaker destroyed him because I think at that point Jeff Hardy was seen as like a young boy and he was about five pounds soaking wet with a brick in his pocket and Taker basically decimated him and moved on um, and he grabbed that microphone and his, you heard his voice crack when he says you haven't killed me yet or whatever he said and Undertaker came back to beat him up one more time and instead just raised his hand and let him flop to the ground. It was kind of like that. Not quite like that because obviously I'm not as big a fan of Sheamus as I am of Jeff fucking Hardy. But it, it, it did have that vibe and I thought that was a really cool thing. It was a really cool thing for him to walk into walk into the pile of knives without his friends because they're elsewhere. Take a, take a three-on-one beatdown and say, yeah, but you haven't killed me yet. Um, next up, as we set up last week on SmackDown, we got Bailey one-on-one versus Shotzi. Bailey also making reference to the fact that her partners of Dakota Kai and EO Sky are also in Florida dealing with the stuff, so my, my thoughts repeat themselves. Anybody affected by that, obviously you're not going to make the show. I mean, Tony Khan tried to do a big, look at me, look how awesome I am tweet. I let my wrestlers go deal with their stuff. WWE just did it. That's the difference. Triple H didn't go on Twitter and ask for a pat on the back like Tony did just for being a decent human being. Tony Khan's a piece of shit moving swiftly on. But we got Bailey versus Shotzi. And you guys know, it, it's driven into the ground right now. Yeah, check it off your Spaz Phoenix bucket list. It's fine. I'm a huge fan of Shotzi Blackheart. But I'll never say that she's five stars in the Tokyo Dome, brother. So putting her with somebody like Bailey, who was only going to make her look like a million bucks, put a huge... Smile on my face. Put a huge smile on my face. Um, the bigger thing, though, is... And again, things come in a one-two punch because they've been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks that Shotzi Blackheart, now that she's a babyface again, is going to have the tank back. Not only did she have the tank back, I like the tank. The tank was good in NXT. The tank was good here. The only thing I thought was kind of silly was basically she had, like, Nerf missiles in the front of it and they just kind of popped into the ring and whatever and they were kind of silly. She came out with the tank and a big control panel now the tank shoots pyro, and that pyro sets off pyro in the ceiling as part of her entrance. That's fucking awesome. That's not like not only did we bring this back, but we made it better. Not only did we bring Bailey back and EO Sky back and Dakota Kai back, but we made them this awesome faction that is going to be a focal point of the women's division, right? Not so we take it down to something that is ornamental at the end of the day, like Shotzi's tank. But you say, not only are we going to bring it back, we're going to bring it back better. Uh, the entrance was awesome. The match was really good, too. Obviously, Bailey got the win because Shotzi's not the one in focus right now. But 
she looked good in the match, not gonna lie. Bailey, after the match, because she's got the ladder match with Bianca Belair, she brings out the ladder, she sandwiches Shotzi in the ladder, she's about to sort of jump on it or whatever, and obviously because Belair has to be the hero, she has to be the Snow White babyface, she's the one that came to save Shotzi Blackheart. Now, if you've seen Shotzi Blackheart anywhere else, Shotzi Blackheart's no stranger to a ladder. I would love to see her portrayed as a person that could more than handle herself in a quote-unquote hardcore situation, but she's not the uh, she's not the chosen one. She's not the one we have to put over at this point. So she had to play damsel in distress to Bianca Belair. I don't like that so much. Not gonna lie, it, I I could have done without that. But overall, Shotzi is getting more time on TV. Shotzi's you know mixing it up with the big names. She's got the tank back. There's there's pyro now. They've put effort into her entrance, which is always a good sign. Um, it's it's all good, except for you un you undo what you've done when you say she has to be saved. That's that's my take on it. And you guys are gonna come up with a hundred examples of where I've thought it was good other other times. Go back and listen to what I just said. There's a reason I'm saying like Mick Foley doesn't need to be saved because somebody happens to be swinging a chair. I'm not saying Shotzi Blackheart is Mick Foley, but the reasoning still stands. Max Dupree stumbles upon his maximum male models trying to break the break the longest Canadian pose limit, and as they're counting down, three, two, headbutt, and he just takes them out, gives a yeah, and uh, and walks off. So he's 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 gonna be L.A. Knight, and we're all gonna be saying L.A. Knight, yeah. I shouldn't do it, I know. Uh, the main event was the main event. Uh, Theory and the Alpha Academy taking on Drew Owens and Gargano is awesome. Obviously, they get the win. Um, Drew McIntyre using coming to the ring with the strap to send a message to uh, to, to carry and cross through the beaten body of Austin Theory is is absolutely fine. It's it's what they do with the Money in the Bank briefcase holder. They beat the fuck out of them until they cash in or they don't. But they've also portrayed him as the guy that can't cash in correctly. What I like in this match, as they were talking... I think they were talking about Drew and Gargano mostly. But they were talking about their history, not only in NXT, but also in Evolve and also in Dragon Gate. Now, I don't watch Evolve. I saw exactly one show, and it was the one that they put on the WWE Network. And I've never watched Dragon Gate in a million years. I think they... what Aren't they the ones that have the... Open Open the Dragon's Gate Never Open title, whatever it is. But again, you just you hear it and you're like, oh my god, they said somebody else. It's like when CM Punk dropped the pipe bomb and he mentioned ROH for the first time. But it's not like it still feels like it's taboo, but it's not taboo because they're doing it to tell you that it's not taboo anymore. Like, the more you think about it, like, you know, we're not wrestlers, we're sports entertainers. Johnny Gargano came back to be Johnny Wrestling. If they made him Johnny Sports Entertainer, it would be a lame AEW joke, would it not? Um, so I took a lot more of that from this match than I did, because the match was what it was. Oh, you three were fighting you three? Okay, we'll make that the main event. It's There is some still cookie-cutter WWE elements to it, and I'm not going to deny that there are, and we knew exactly what this was, and here's here's everybody that everybody likes. You got Drew McIntyre, you got the newly returned Johnny Gargano, and you got Kevin Owens, who's from Canada. From Canada, I can speak, I swear. 
you got Owens, who's from Canada, but you also got Gargano, who made his return in Canada. Why do I know that? Because I was fucking there. And Drew McIntyre, I mean, the last time they advertised Drew McIntyre, they said he was in his homeland of Wales. So I don't think they quite know where Drew McIntyre's from. But the match was what it was. And low-key, it's putting people like Theory and Gable and Otis in the main event, which I don't think they would be in otherwise. So SmackDown does quite a bit does quite a bit in their two-hour time frame. So, starting to wrap things up now. I'm uh, losing my voice, so I apologize if I sound a bit raspy. It's the go-home week this week, which, once again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down on. There is no WWE this week coming next Monday, because I will have talked about everything in the Extreme Rules review, and I would have talked, or preview, rather, and I will have talked about everything in NXT when I preview, when I, uh, when I review the new quote-unquote NXT, but next week, we've got Otis versus Gargano on Raw, we've got Strowman versus sorry, Otis versus Gargano, Strowman versus Gable, in two weeks, we have the DX anniversary where Bloodline will also be on Raw, so clearly we're going to get Bloodline versus the D versus DX which I'm sure will be advertised some point this week, we've got Candice LeRae versus Dakota Kai, which is going to wreck Next week on NXT, we've got uh, Andre Chase versus Von Wagner for the ladder match. We've got Axiom versus Frazier 3, which is also to get into the ladder match. You've got Wendy Chu versus Lash Legend. Y yay, yay, yay. Um, you've also got the trio of Zoe Stark, Makita Lyons, and Alba Fire taking on all three members of Toxic Attraction, which is quite good. Uh, SmackDown next week, we've got Sheamus versus... It's the premiere of SmackDown. I don't know whether it's the premiere of Raw or not. Uh, we've got Sheamus versus Gunther 2 for the Intercontinental Championship. We've got Logan Paul and Roman Reigns are going to come face to face. And we've got Solo Sokoa versus Ricochet, which is very, very nice. So what do we have on the pay-per-view horizon? We've got Halloween Havoc, which uh, right now is the ladder match with Wesley Oromensa. Oromensa is the other guy's name. Uh, <laughs> Carmelo Hayes and two names to be decided in that North American Championship ladder match, and you've got Braun Breaker versus JD McDonough versus Ilya Dragunov for the NXT Championship. For Extreme Rules, check this for a stacked card so far. Bailey versus Belair in a ladder match. Ronda versus Liv in an Extreme Rules match. Drew versus Cross in a strap match. Seth versus Riddle in the fight pit. Edge versus Balor in an I Quit match. And all three members of Imperium versus all three members of the Brawling Brutes in a no disqualification, quote unquote, Donnybrook match. Now, the other piece of news that we've picked up over the course of the weekend is that, uh, and I'm going to throw this to everybody else because I know nothing about MMA because I don't watch MMA, but Daniel Cormier, DC is going to be the official referee for the fight pit match between Riddle and Seth Rollins. Now, I don't have to know anything about Daniel Cormier to, to know that that's a pretty cool nod to have a UFC guy refereeing the match that's the most like UFC in WWE. Um, I'm sure they'll make a bigger deal of that on Monday, or I should say today, as you're listening to this. Takeaways from this week are pretty goddamn simple. Candice LeRae is back. That's awesome. Nikki... Nikki A.S.H. might be finally turning back into Nikki Cross. Shotzi's tank is back and better than ever, which is always cool. Uh, they continue... Bloodline as a whole continues to be the main story in WWE, but specifically the way they are from Jump Street presenting Solo Sokoa as an absolute killer is fucking fantastic. And I'm going to leave you, because I haven't touched on it very much, and I, I intentionally haven't touched on it very much, so I'm just going to keep spitting White Rabbit theories out at you guys that I know are not going to happen. Here's my current theory 
on what the White Rabbit is. The White Rabbit is Bray Wyatt. It's going to be threefold. The White Rabbit is Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt is coming in to take over the Judgment Day. Bray Wyatt is coming to add to the Judgment Day. Karrion Cross, Scarlet, Dexter Loomis, Alexa Bliss, Braun Strowman, and the Lone Wolf version of Baron Corbin. That is my theory. It's absolutely not happening. Absolutely not happening. But that's my current theory. There's more people that still could be coming back to WWE. Who knows? I've been spaz your YWC reality check. Subscribe up there. Talk down there. Start a conversation. Keep all these conversations going. Don't be a stranger. I will talk to each and every last one of you later. But for right now, I am tagging out. Bye, guys.